Hey guys, and welcome to the Peaks and Valleys podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Ridgely. In this podcast, we talk about coffee, culture, and mental health. Thanks for joining, and we hope you enjoy this episode. What is up, Peaks and Valleys fam, and welcome to another episode of the Peaks and Valleys podcast, where we talk coffee, culture, and mental health. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins, and I'm joined by my co-host, the one and only Kyle Ridgely. What's up? Today in this episode, we are diving into um, a cultural topic that has come up this year. Black Lives Matter and the Church. In this episode, we we dive into this um, very hard um, but necessary conversation, a very nuanced conversation um, that needs to be addressed amongst believers um, in the church and just in society in general. Today on the podcast, uh, we have a very um, dear friend of ours and a brother, uh, Mr. Brian Smith. What's up, guys? What's up, guys? Um, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Um, me and Brian met divinely. It, it was definitely a divine meeting and uh, meant to be. Um, dude, Brian, the, the first time that I met you, before I even met you, actually, um, everybody was like, Jonathan, you got to meet this guy, Brian. He is the black version of you. That That's literally what they told me. <laughs> Dude, the Aussie, like before we met, I was told the exact same thing, but reversed. Like you're the white version of me. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super glad to have you on the podcast and be able to have this conversation with you as just a, a brother in Christ. And, you know, somebody that I, you know, I dearly care about um, just your your fire for the Lord and the, for ministry and for people coming to the fullness, fullness of who they are in Christ. Um, it encourages me. And so um, I'm just super glad to, to have you here and have this conversation. Just, um, if you will, just share a little bit about yourself, um, where you're at currently, um, really just, just whatever you want to share. Um, so the viewers... Um, listeners know you a little bit know who brian is yeah well first um so actually i work at what people would call um heaven's place on earth which is chick-fil-a so yeah i work at chick-fil-a i've been working there for almost two years now we call that god's chicken (laughs) yes the lord's anointed chicken with the best oil right (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i work there um I am serving my, actually finishing up my last year at Regent University with my bachelor's degree in Christian leadership and business management. And on top of that, I'm engaged to, to a beautiful woman that I love so much. Her name is Erin Latumba. She's getting her uh, master's degree in family and marriage counseling. And what we both actually decided to do together is actually you know, go to ministry together in the future when God calls us out. And I actually want to go as far to get my doctoral degree in theology to help counsel on pastors and other um, clergymen. Nice, man. Nice. And, and Regents in Virginia Beach, correct? Yes, sir. Virginia Beach, Virginia. Nice. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, well thanks for sharing a little bit about who you are. 
Um, and let's just dive into this conversation, man. And so yeah. whenever, you know, you hear the word or, you know, the term Black Lives Matter and just that that sentiment that's been brought up again this year because of George Floyd um, mm, and then, yeah. you know, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, Jacob Blake now. Um, and so many other names that we think about and that come up in the area of injustice and, and black lives. What are what are your initial thoughts on that, Brian? And the the you know connection with the church and the conversation around this. Uh, what what's your initial thoughts? Yeah. Well, first, so so let's talk about so the way I saw the church as a black person right before conversion happened. So when I came to, you know, to Regent, I came to a Christian institution and like as a person from the secular realm, the secular realm keeps a list of grievances on, on how the church has affected people, right? Whether it be emotionally, psychologically, or financially, when, you know, the church, specifically like the Catholic church had made its movement through, um, you know, through the West into the East, um, especially in Africa, right? Um, there, are, there are certain things that the church doesn't discuss, especially when it comes to topic, topic of racism, because one of the, the, the dark, gloomy things of the church is that the church had a hand in the um, Atlantic um, slave trade but not only in the slave trade, but also into um, the in, into the Democratic Party, you know, back into like the early 1900s and the 1800s, where we start to see like the the um, the um, the birth of the Klan, the Klan movement, which was started by not only by Democrats but by white Protestant Christians. So the topic of of Black Lives Matter. Has always been at the church's at the church's doorstep, but now people are have to have to learn how to address it now, or not. Or if not, it's going to get worse. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, you know, you you hit on um, some points about history in the church in, in this area, and there there's really, I mean, I've seen a lot of pushback from the church in this area in the season. And, you know, if, if you want to have this conversation about race and, and reconciliation and facing and addressing the issues of racism or, you know, white supremacy, you know, racism in our systems, et cetera, you're, you know, you're labeled a Marxist or a um, social justice warrior, or you're, you're advocating for a social gospel and, you know, all these kind of things that are thrown at you. Um, but like I said, you, you, Brian, were alluding to, you know, the history. Um, and and right, I think right. that's what I've seen is a, a lot of unwillingness to understand the history of the church in this area. Um, a lot of unwillingness to listen to somebody else's experience that is not white, that doesn't look like me, right? right? And so when we understand the history um, of the church's involvement in 
advocating for slavery in, you know, white colonialism, you know, kind of the church being being a hand in creating the systems that we we gain a better understanding of how we've gotten here today. Right. Okay. And so like we have to, we have to face it. We have to face it head on. We have to denounce it, um, lament, repent of it, and have these, you know, hard but fruitful conversations. Because when we're when we're open to having these conversations, that's when change can happen. Um, when we listen, that's where empathy can come in, and we actually understand that, you know. Y- a black person's experience in America is different than a white person's experience in America. And, and and something that I've gotten from that is, well, because you're making it about race, you're, you know, you're being divisive, you know, like you get the all lives matter or it's not about skin. It's about sin. Um, No, I'm just pointing out a reality, you know, Right. Um, I think I think the statistic is that a black person in America is 2.5 times more likely to have a negative interaction with a police officer. Right. Okay. And, and that's yeah. that's that's just reality. That's not being divisive. That's a reality that we as the church have to face. That's right. a conversation we need to have with our black brothers and sisters. Um, again, that that's where empathy can come in. That's where it. it it gives us a sense of, okay, maybe I do need to listen to my black brothers and sisters. Maybe I do need to listen to their experiences and, and their pain. Um, and, and one thing I've really thought of is, you know, understanding trauma, understanding generational trauma. Because, for example, like my family is a as a white family in America. I don't have a history of having ancestors that were slaves. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so there, there, there's a big difference between my ancestry and a person that has, you know, an, an ancestry of slavery. That's, that's trauma. That's, that's, um, compounded generationally. Okay. Right. And so we, we have to, again, be empathetic to that and know that just because the Emancipation Proclamation was put into place and, you know, America, you know, supposedly stands for equality for all, that doesn't mean that this, this trauma and the pain, this pain is, is gone all of a sudden. Right. There's, there's some long haul, deep work to do in this area. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Even too. So many people have always said that if a you know, if a black man were to carry himself even more differently, right, maybe the maybe the police wouldn't you know do anything you know, to him. But then we have someone like George Floyd, who is a Christian minister. He's a minister of the church. Like that that is where the the eyes and the ears of the church cannot be shut up and cannot um turn away. Because now we have someone who is a, a brother in, in the faith who who apparently came out to do actually church planning. He's actually out there to do that. Now we have, you know, this 
um, we have we we have the, you know this it was like a falsified image of what people try to put him out to be, try to pull his records on this stuff. But in actuality, he came out to plant a church. That was the crazy thing. But but then again, it's like even even if my faith system, you know, doesn't even show me as valuable to someone who, to another person who was white who was a Christian, then it's almost become almost like a, a useless tool. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like they might think this for me, right? If I am, if this were, if, if it wasn't George Floyd or if it were, if it were me and I was put and I, and I was put in George Floyd's shoes and I'm a black Christian who's, who's going out there to plant a church and everyone on the media already had assumptions about me. You know, people try to say, oh, he was this, or he was that. The people I served with, it's like, no, he came out to, came out to that area to plant a church. But then you have those. You may have those who would, who would try to defend me, but then you have those who would try to um, incriminate me as well. So for even for a black man as a Christian, like sometimes society does not even see us even as valuable in the air in that area of our faith. So black people sometimes don't. Not only do we not feel welcome sometimes in America, but sometimes when it comes to the area of the church. We don't feel as welcome and more uh, more white churches, um, you know. What I mean? And that's usually because um, either the culture that comes with black Christianity is seen as is almost perceived perceived to be obscene to white Christians. Yeah, man. Like I've 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 definitely heard that. Um... Actually, I'm watching a, a video series right now um, called the, Col- the Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Um, the complicity of the American church in racism. And, and one thing that he said that you know really made me think was there would be no black church without racism and white supremacy in the white church. And that was like, oh my goodness. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I get it, dude. Like, that sense of, you know, like, you know, I'm not good enough. This church is predominantly white. Like, kind of, I, I get it, dude. Like, and it, like, it, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, but there's a lot of people that don't get it. Um, right. If, I, I just, my my hope and prayers the church collectively could just be on the same page about this honestly um and just be open to having these conversations dude yeah one 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 thing i want to hit on you were just talking about was you you know you said george floyd and people bringing up his criminal record um and dude um kb he's a um, black christian hip hop artist and he was he was talking about you know getting pushed back from people calling for justice in this area and stuff and you know it, it came to the you know the element of well if the black community would act differently or you know this particular person in this situation had this kind of background and stuff and KB was just basically like seriously you're 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 putting somebody's humanity somebody that's made in image god you're putting this up for debate he's like this is not up for debate like and that and that and that that's what people 
are are making it as like this is up for debate like we're calling for justice for this black person in America but we're gonna other side we're gonna you know dwell up their their criminal past and say well you know like this this situation that it was justified you know no no it's it's not up for debate right yeah um no yeah i agree and it happens happens so often with either with the killing of a young black teen especially if the black teen was away from you know guess miles away from home but now we see an incident where um someone like such as george floyd right he is he is he is miles, miles away from home. He comes out to, to, George, to do church planning. And apparently, George Floyd, he actually had a, um, a gospel legacy in Houston, Texas. And that, that wasn't talked about a lot, though, in comparison to his, his, his criminal record in the past. My issue with most of white evangelical churches or platform, platforms Especially when it comes to comparing, um, I don't know if you've seen on Facebook. I've seen people speak so much about Trump's presidency and how, though Trump has said some things in the past, we should forgive him. And for me, as a, even as a black evangelical, I'm like, yeah, I'm on board with that. But when it comes to someone such as George Floyd, who had a who had a past, right? There's not a a sentiment of forgiveness that I hear from white evangelicals. Yeah, I feel that, man. Um, one of, there, there, there was a, a little snippet quote from a pastor recently that really hit me. Um, and, just, and just thinking about it, you know, it equates to this area of injustice and when a, you know, excessive use of force from a police officer to put onto a, a person of color in America and, you know, we have, like we're talking about, people come out of the woodwork that say he had a criminal past, he did this and he did that. Well, this this quote from a pastor that I heard recently was, the gospel ought to give us deep humility with no hostility at all. In light of our sin, in light of who we are personally, we, we have no place before a holy God, any of us, right? Right. Amen. Um, we, we're, you know, we're, we're justified only where we are have access only because of Jesus' death. That is it. And so for, for me to push back against calls for justice with, well, what about his criminal past? What about he was high at the time or whatever? Like that's hypocritical of me. Right. Because yeah. of the yeah. fact that. I'm also a sinner. Yeah. I'm also not perfect. Right? Yeah. No, and, and I love the fact that you pointed on that aspect of the faith. It's like we have access through Christ. We have access to God, to the Father through Christ Jesus and his blood that was built for us. But the area of the church where it's such a blemish is that, um, is that they believed almost in the way that your access to God wasn't through Christ, but it was through your skin color. Yeah. Most of where the, the, the birth of the black church 
really starts really starts under the nose of slave owners. Yeah, because one of the one of the debates that happens is um, in slavery is whether um, African slaves can be Christians or not. Because what how Christianity was seen, it wasn't seen as a as religion of of faith as we see it more as we see it now because 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 now our generation reads the scriptures and we know the God that we serve and we know what He's about. But back then, Christianity became almost the the white elitist religion because it served the tool for for political faction and policy and for people who want to to make a movement throughout um throughout the known world or parts of the world that were unknown so christianity um served as white supremacy in the 1800s and before yeah so when it came to the to the to the footsteps of african-americans it really it changed everything. It really it changed a lot of things because now we saw it as all right. So if, if if the Bible says that you know I am justified by Christ, and that we that we all stand before the great white throne of judgment, that means not me me as a black person and either the person is like a black male or black female, but also the person who's a white male and who's my slave owner. Yeah, absolutely, and, dude. And it levels perspective, and and this is actually, this is the, the air where you know, like I don't believe that the gospel is social, but however, the gospel socially levels every single person, whether black, white, rich, poor, you know, wherever like wherever you are, the gospel just levels you, and that's what changed um so much you know of the church, and and this time because now us as black people in the church, we are calling for most white evangelicals to come back to that place of remembrance. Yeah. Now, Dude. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, uh, let, let, let me hit on one more point and then I want, I want to hear Kyle's thoughts on this. You, you just said that, you know, the gospel levels things for everybody, right? Right. So, when I, when I, when I think of this area, you know, advocating and calling for justice, for equality, equal input for everybody, right? Right. When I when I look at Jesus's ministry on earth, you know, you're you're absolutely right. It, it's not a social gospel. Okay. But when I look at Jesus's ministry on earth, he did opposed the systems that oppress people okay he sought out to level it for everybody and that was by his death equal access for everybody to god okay Amen. but he 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 also he he sought out and opposed the systems that sought out to oppress people okay but he sought to deconstruct those things to push against those things to reconstruct what 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 was the reconstruction the building up of the church right the the death and resurrection so we can have access to father we can have the emboldenment of the holy spirit um so there there was a purpose 
in the deconstruction was to reconstruct, to have a vibrant church, vibrant communities, level, like you just said, equal access to the Father, um, and, and again, a thriving and, and a vibrant life in Him. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Kyle, what is, what's your, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a, it's a difficult conversation um, to have and uh, it needs to, although even though it is difficult, it needs to be said, it needs to be talked about. Um, there are areas in which we need to, uh, to expose ourselves to as far as uh, real information, looking at the history, looking at uh, where we've come in the past you know, 100 to 200 years, uh, where has this all started? Where has this all began? And really understanding and unpacking all those things uh, can be difficult for, for many people. Um, and just uh, even I've heard, you know, my wife, brothers and sisters, not everyone I come in contact with, but I've heard the common phrases like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not a racist. You know, I, those if, if there were any his, there was any history of, of racism, it was my ancestors. I shouldn't have to apologize for that. But then you leave yourself open to all these different I mean, there, there's so many different uh, ideas that come from that. I mean, you have, you have to worry about, I mean, where, where's the empathy? You know, where, where yeah. is the empathy? Uh, even though you may have, you may have not participated in those acts, you know, the, the systems in which that we, we follow and the, or the, that we believe in so strongly are, are causing these types of uh, systematic racism and uh, the racist ideologies that have been, around for so long and i mean you have to go back i mean some of the things you're hitting on you have to go back to the beginning and see okay how has history shaped this idea well i mean we can look at racism as far back as we can possibly record history um, racism is not um it's not a foreign idea um, nor is slavery um it's it's not a but when we come to the idea here in america and we talk about those things there are still some areas of that that has permeated through the modern day um, and that still exist that are just kind of hidden. And so when you look back in history, you see uh, the Age of Enlightenment, you see uh, scientific yeah. revolution, industrial evolution, um, and then you start to see the view of social Darwinism. Um, I don't believe that anybody really looks at that and, and really sees the how much it shaped uh, Western civilization um, during the 1800s. I mean, this was an idea that uh, was taken way out of the norm as far as what it was that the, the, the view of Darwinism was talking about, and it was talking about adaptations and evolution and to, specifically to a, uh, a species or a group of, of, um, of animals or what have you, um, but then it was translated into this idea of humanity. Um, that the strongest shall survive. And so the white man's burden is also what it was known as during that time. And so they, they believed uh, most of the, I guess you'd say the powers of that day, uh, you know, England, France, uh, those, those big major European powers at the time, uh, that permeated through every political decision they made and they were empire building. So they, they believed they had a, a white man's burden of civilizing the known world they had 
the medicine, they had the science, they had the education, um, they had all the tools and all the things of modern invention to come in and essentially save these poor people who don't know any better. And so they would come in and it was, it was known later as the age of imperialism. And so they started coming in and going into these areas and they, they would let them practice their religion and their government, but they still had their hands in the money jar. Like they, they would, they would take from everything in a secret way um, where it would build their empires, build their industries, build their war machines. Um, and so those people who lived in these uh, territories or colonies or whatever you want to call them at that time uh, were essentially uh, being, being oppressed by the system of social Darwinism um, and that the strongest shall survive. We are the strongest. The white man's burden had permeated through that whole entire his history. Um, and then it comes over into America um, when you still had, you know, slavery was still a prominent theme before the, the Civil War. So, I mean, you got to think about all these different layers of how do we get here? Um, we've relied on all these different philosophies and all these different ideas to, to come in and permeate through everything we do. And so there's still some of those things that exist today. They might not be labeled as it was in the 1800s or be talked about as openly and accepted as an idea, but it is embedded in the systems that you and Jonathan have been talking about for most of this podcast. Um, and so for me personally, um, the dealing with, I mean, firsthand, uh, those kind of uh, the racist ideologies and things like that. Um, I grew up, uh, my uh, grandfather uh, was the patriarch of our family, if you will. And um, he, he was, a, again, a Southern Baptist pastor for 50 years or more. And he would always instill in us that it doesn't matter who a person is. You love them as Christ loved them. And um, he had many relationships with uh, blacks in the black community. As a, as a white pastor um, of a predominantly white church, he had relationships with um, this specifically um, uh, black church. And so everything he did in his life, it permeated and incarnated the love of Christ to everyone. And so um, for me, it just that continued to be a way of life for me uh, growing up. It didn't, I mean, obviously we see color. We notice that there's a difference in someone right away. Uh, but most of my friends were black all the way through my childhood up until high school. I didn't have a white friend until I met Jonathan in college. So for me, wow. it was the, the norm uh, for me. And so uh, then later on in, in my childhood, my aunt married a black man. Um, and at the time that is still a little fresh, um, but it still wasn't beyond the norm, really, um, to see that, unlike um, other years prior um, and decades prior, where that would have kind of been seen as uh, it could have been against the law. It could have been uh, seen as taboo or things like that. Um, and then uh, my aunt and uncle at that time, who was black, uh, they had uh, an interracial child. And growing up, we were very close. Um, we still talk from time to time now and again, just busyness of life. We don't get to do that as much, and we live uh, several hundred miles away. Um, but going and being a part of her family, um, I, I saw no difference. Um, they welcomed me into their home. 
they fed me, uh, they laughed with me, they shared stories with me, um, and I just felt like I was a part of the family, and I, it was no different to me. And, and as the elder uh, generation of her family started telling me stories about, you know, how they were treated and, and most of how they grew up and things like that, especially during the time of uh, segregation, um, it was just so hard for my you know, childlike mind to wrap my, to wrap around the idea of how could you hate someone just because of the color of their skin or what culture they come from or what ideas they may have different from you. And then uh, even further, uh, going through education, we were, it was a part of the curriculum to show this, the, the Civil War period and the Space Proclamation, uh, the segregation and the Civil Rights Movement, seeing all those things. Now, although there may be some holes in that, there's not all uh, in, in most school systems now, there's not a full telling of the story. Um, but we would, I remember watching documentaries um, about slavery specifically in America, and I would see pictures of uh, black men with their backs scarred. Um, upon scar, I mean, layers of scars on their back from being whipped by the taskmaster. And I would just, my heart would go out to my black friends. And I would say, how would I, I mean, just imagining them in that position, I'm like, it just made my young heart just hurt and it would turn my stomach. And just, I could not understand what is so wrong with it. Like there, there's just, there's, mm. what is wrong with us? What it, what was wrong with us during that time, you know, and it, it's just permeated through that, that point in my life. Um, and going to college again, I, I met my first wife friend in college. Um, it, it, the college I went to was a predominantly white college. So it was very, uh, like a culture shock for me, uh, because going, uh, being a part of, you know, like from elementary school, middle school to high school, uh, my school was evenly, I guess, balance between the white and the black population. So it was very strange to see a school that was one side or the other, which in this case was white. So um, I didn't really, in college, I really didn't have to have those conversations anymore or even be exposed to those anymore because there wasn't any, uh, the, the, the conversations never really arose um, because there wasn't a large black population in, in, in my college. So, um, so I think it's, it's really hard um, just to sift through all those things and really, uh, from a, a, a guy like me who was raised the way I was and living a life how I did, it, it's always been a hard thing for me to just grasp why we have such a hard time in our culture and our world getting this out of us. Um, but again, most people didn't grow up the way I did. So, there's a, there's a lot of <laughs> layers to that and it's hard and it, there's a lot of grieving that comes from that. There's a lot of, yeah. uh, probably a lot of opposition, uh, conflict. Um, there's just a lot of things, but we just need to be, again, we have those things in common, that kind of, that instability in those conversations because we're nervous and we don't know what to say, but this conversation still need to be had no matter what, no matter how hard they may be or how nervous you may be. So going to that, how can uh, us as, as white brothers and sisters 
care for our black, black, black brothers and sisters? How can we do that? What are, what are some things we can do? Uh, how can we uh, start those conversations, prompt those conversations, and really have open dialogue about those things? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, it's, it's, I think the easiest way to do it, I'm gonna say it's easy, but simply empathizing with their experiences. Mm-hmm. And some people, <laughs> do you know, like, do you know, like, there's like that phrase, um, so um, don't don't listen to don't don't listen to um, hear you know listen to understand. Mm-hmm. For sometimes, as Black people, when we share our experiences, whether it be a police brutality or um, instances of um, racial bigotry, sometimes some people, some people we have encountered, they listen to respond to rebut, hmm. not as a response to, "All right, I want to be, I want to be the change in my community." Mm-hmm. So it's always. Right. It's like, so for us, it's all—it's always like when people speak to us about stuff like this, they always want to change our perspective about our situation mm-hmm. instead, of, instead of just like allowing us to grieve through the situation. Can I can can I make a quick note about what you just said? Yeah, yeah. You you said you know a white person wants to change a black person's perspective on this. Right. Let me just let me just say this. This this is this is where I I stand on this. Um, th- this is not a narrative that me as a white person in America, this is not a narrative that, that I get to drive, um, that I get to decide how a black person in America feels. This is, this is not an area that I get to call the shots, say what needs to be said, or, you know, tell somebody how to feel. I, I don't, I don't get to, I don't get to make those decisions in this area. Okay. The only thing that I need to do as a white person in America is give, for example, you, Brian, the space to vent, to pour out that pain, to simply cuss, you know, like get angry, say whatever you need to say. I don't get to tell a black person in America who, again, experience in America is different. I, I this, this is not an area that, that I get to rebut or... Um, try to change your mind like that's that's not how this goes okay that that's that's not that's that's the opposite of empathy that's the opposite of what you just said listening to understand um sorry i just had to make that that quick note that that's just how i've been you know kind of where i stand how i've been feeling about this area um yeah no honestly and thank you for even just voicing that because i've i've had occurrence (laughs) i've had it um occurrences with people like that where it's very like and and these are like my my christian brothers who are like that and and it's it's good to hear and it's good to it's good to hear god's perspective on you know, on things but you can tell when it's not god's perspective it is simply like you know someone 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 enforcing their political view it's especially yeah. when, especially right now there are like so, example, this presidency right now, the, the the presidential race, this is actually one of the most pivotal times for African Americans, mm-hmm. more than it was like, back when Obama was president. Yeah, because we have the stirrup of, 
you know, Amara Arbery. We still have trauma that happened with um, Trayvon Martin. Yes. Yes. And um, Philando Castile. Philando Castile. So many many people. I remember remember when Trayvon Martin died because that was – that was a pivotal moment for me as a black teenager because my mother became so uh, <laughs> helicopter mom on me hmm. to the point where she did not want me to leave the house unless it was for school, work, and back until and I got back home. That was it because she was yeah. afraid, just like many other black moms in America at that time, were afraid of us ending up like Trayvon Martin. Yeah. Yeah. And see, like, that's that. I mean, that's 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 it, man. Like, like I my my parents, I I wasn't raised to hearing my parents say, "Okay, this is how you act around the police, like in in a very detailed kind of this is how you do it kind of way. You know, I grew up, you know, saying, you know, you need to respect the police like you know, like those kind of things, but I, I, I wasn't raised to walk out the door and like, if I, you know, saw police pull me over, I mean, th- this is, this is, I, I have to respect to survive, you know, not yeah. that I have to respect so I get out of this traffic ticket. Like there's a big difference, you know? And again, that's, that's, people will say that's, Call, making it about race as being divisive is simply a reality in the world we live in. Right, right. Honestly, I would tell you, as and this is and this is like saying saying for for someone who has you know applied for college and stuff like that. I feel like I feel like being pulled over by the police as a black person is more anxious, is more anxiety in the moment than applying for a college application. That, that decides your future. Yeah. Because in that moment, our life is on the line. I can be as, as respectful and not saying that they're not cops that are respectful and they're not going to reciprocate that kind of respect back to me. But all it takes is like that one person who had, who had a rough day and they already don't like people that look like me in the first place. Yeah, it become it shoots from zero to one hundred, real quick, and this and this is not even when the when 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 the cop is asking you for a name your license, this R starts when he already, he's already pulled you over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Like, it's you know for for me this is not a you know politicized conversation because. You know, ultimately, my gospel drives my politics. Um, but when it comes to this area, you have to look at those things and be like, we need some reform. Like, there needs to be some changes in American policing and American systems. Um, like, you know, looking at, you know, for some examples that uh, that I've, as, as I've been researching and learning and, and listening, like, you know, for example, like police unions and qualified immunity, like stuff like that. Like, there there needs to be see, needs to be some reform in those areas for our black brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um. 
quick question. Have you ever heard of the, the clause behind the 13th Amendment? No. Let's hear it. So pretty much, okay. So the Emancipation Proclamation, it, it wasn't... It served as a document that helped enforce the liberation of slaves, but it wasn't the doc. It wasn't really like the document. It was like the Thirteenth Amendment that that allowed for slaves to be freed. But there's a subclause under the Thirteenth Amendment that says that if a slave commits a crime, that he or she will be forced back into slavery. Hmm. So that's why we have an issue with the prison system today. The prison system. Actually, um, it actually provides a way for the thirteenth clause on the Thirteenth Amendment to be enforced against Black people. Yes. Okay. Okay. I. I. Yeah. Now that you said that, um, my memory is refreshed. I. I watched a documentary on Netflix called Thirteenth, and it talked about that. Um, it yeah. talked about the prison system and how. You know, it went through, you know, a lot of history, you know, as far as like the war on drugs and all that kind of stuff and how, you know, the the prison system even even still, you know, is for profit. And, you know, it's really started with putting majority black people and Latino people behind bars Um, and for a profit at that, you know. And so, yeah, 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 like I, you know, there, there definitely needs to be reforms and changes and, and we can have like, there, there's so much, especially in politics, so many like just, uh, just hateful arguments. And we, and when really like, again, like it comes back to the nuance that we're missing in this, we can have civil discourse and disagree, you know, but we're missing all that. Like we can... I, I believe, like, even, even in our disagreements, we can sharpen each other. We can, you know, we can find fresh new perspectives. It might help us grow it. We might learn something. But, like, this just, like, polarizing and, you know, just sharp, like, it's my way. Like, you know, we, we, we're we missing the, the nuance. We're missing the civil discourse that we could be having about these things, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, and, and that's where I think, as Christians, we have to be we have to be okay with saying it is okay if you and I disagree. But you know this, but this discussion is helping us both. Yeah. So, and that is one of the areas I've noticed in Christendom, people are not afraid to have talks about unborn babies getting killed. But people are afraid of having conversations when it's stirred around racial hostility in America. Yeah, that dude, that <laughs> yeah, that gets me. Yeah, yeah. like you like. <laughs> I've, I've, I've I've heard so many times in this this whole discussion, man, that you know somebody will be bringing up the conversation of uh, race and like ways to build a bridge and be you know reconciling in this area. And then somebody will comment on social media or come back with, well, why aren't you talking about abortion? Okay. We can, we can talk about one focus on one issue, black lives matter without disparaging another. That doesn't mean we don't care about abortion. That doesn't mean we don't care about homelessness or these other issues. Okay. But this is the issue we're going to focus on right now. 
because because it's important, it's necessary. It's it's close to the heart of our Father. Reconciliation. Yeah. So. Amen. Yeah. Um, I think it uh, really honestly when we're all talking about these different, as Jonathan likes to use the word nuance a lot. Um, these are hard conversations, and we we all respond in a way that may not be pleasing to the father in heaven. And, and why we do those things is because our, it's our, it's a position of the heart. Um, I think a lot of these, why we can't have these conversations and why we can't uh, literally sit in front of each other and ask questions and raise uh, certain concerns is because it's where our heart is positioned. Um, there is a heart issue. It's a heart level issue. Um, and it all goes back to the, the, the thing in our heart that's always going on, the war between the flesh and the spirit. Um, and there's this, there's this war that's waging in us that it's a glory and worship issue. Um, what are we worshiping? Um, and then what are we trying to glorify? Um, are we trying to worship uh, the creator or are we worshiping the creator created thing, which is whether it's philosophy or idea or uh, things that we may have or possess or status or things like that. Um, and then on the other hand is glory. Who, who are we living our lives to glorify ourselves? Um, are we wanting to be the center of our worlds? Are we wanting to have the last word in a conversation because we're right? Uh, we, we live in this uh, state of, uh, we're glory thieves, and we steal glory um, from where they should rightly place, and that's in God. Um, and so I think there's this war that's waging in us, and uh, it's surrounded by the self, our heart. Uh, who, what are we? What are we doing in that? Um, how are we responding? How are we? There's a situation. How, what are our thoughts? What are our responses? Uh, why did we do what we did? And what was really the outcome? Well, it, it all centers around the mm-hmm. thoughts and the responses, our motives. It really, it's, it's an opportunity. These, these conversations are an opportunity for God to expose the areas of our hearts that need to change. Um, these are great. I mean, even, no matter how they go, uh, these are just opportunities. They're uh, just simply uh, just admitting, you know, to ourselves that these, you know, these people or these circumstances don't uh, cause me to respond the way I do it's an opportunity for God to reveal the areas of our lives that need to change that to, to lead more to becoming like him and glorify him, um, yeah. place him in a center of worship, um, in our lives. And, and, you know, we always think that worship is this moment uh, at a church and we're lifting our hands. Well, that's the right. lowest <laughs> hanging, you know, that's the lowest hanging flute, uh, fruit, excuse me, flute. Fruit. <laughs> uh, it's the lowest hanging so we always attach to that but worship is a is a daily li- lived out life it's a it's a lifestyle um and we don't always get it right because we're imperfect we're fallen and, and that's just the result of, of, of the fall of sin in our lives so we we constantly have to position ourselves in a place of what am i what am why am i responding the way i'm responding is it glorifying to god is it pleasing mm-hmm. him in heaven and what am I worshiping? You know, what, right. you know, who's who yeah. stands my taking? What am I trying to accomplish here? Is it my 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 idea, my thought, or is it uh, how God frames the world we live in? Um, and so I think that there's there's a there's a level of understanding that 
in order for us to get this right, and, and many people who are listening to this may not agree with me, but I'm going to say it because I believe this is what, this is God's heart, is that it is, it is solely based on our framework in scripture. God speaks to us in his word, and that is the mm-hmm. proper framework by which we can have all these conversations. Uh, you know, scripture is su- sufficient for life and doctrine. Doctrine is the, the, what does a Christian life look like? And then life, what, what, um, what are our problem? What's our, what is our problem? What's the solution? Um, how do we live in a world that is fallen and broken and all these different things going on that is, is warring against, uh, the, 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 those, um, areas of, of, of life that should be, have joy and peace. And because we live in a fallen world, um, and there's always going to be something come up that, it's going to be hard. It's going to, we're going to have to go through these process, the processes or however you want to put it, uh, a process that is going to bring us to a place where we become more like Christ. Amen. Or if you're not in Christ, he is pursuing you to come to him. Amen. And Amen. so uh, with that, stating that, um, how do you, Brian, how do you think that the, the white, predominantly white church could respond to uh, members of the black community and specifically to the black church at large how, how can how can we do how can we do this how, how would um how what's the the way that uh, would be i guess a place of understanding a place of mm. um of wanting that re- reconciliation to begin build bridging that gap yeah i think it begins with accepting our culture because in america Black people have always felt like we've always accepted Anglo culture, hmm. especially Anglo church culture. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've like we've listened to contemporary music. For me, when I first got saved, I never knew that Christian contemporary music was a, was a real thing. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, "What is this Hillsong? What's about this?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" I was like, "Why is it so flowy?" There's <laughs> a it's it's white boy music right here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but but the beautiful thing is I love it. The beautiful thing is I I love I love it because God glorified through it. Whether whether my culture as a black person um, utilizes it most often or not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because like before I got because even though before I got saved, I listened to gospel music. Yeah, you know, because it was part of the culture. But when I stepped, stepped into more white evangelical churches especially in this time they want to have have black people on staff as pastors and leaders but when it comes to talk the talk of ingraining our culture in the church and their church specifically it always comes back to the topic of well you know that isn't fair our culture i'm thinking like well the culture of the church the culture of the people that look like you mm. yep <laughs> So, 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 and I was to make me honest, I've been to many black churches that have been so accepting of, of, you know, of more white contemporary music, Christian music, you know, and not, and not really try, not trying to, ha- not trying to hire pastors on, not trying to hire pastors on staff because they can help them with, help them with diversity. We just want to actually feel like we contribute to the faith. Hmm. Like so, something. Something I think about so much 
I think about it so much, especially um, when it comes to church history, right? And we've all heard of um, Augustine who, who preceded um, Aquinas, right? One of the one of the most great Christian philosophers and um, theologians, you know, of the early era. A lot of us didn't know he was black. <laughs> <laughs> like Augustine, who who preceded Aquinas, and Aquinas, you know, who who used most of Augustine's work, he quoted his works. A lot of people didn't know that Augustine was black. So that's that's where we're at in the in the, in the church now. We yeah. We want our much of our Christian history and our heritage to be as much to be as even influenced, just like how you know how everyone else's is. Yeah, dude. Because I mean, in just speaking like honestly, like for the longest time, it's we've heard it like Christianity historically has been the white man's religion, like it has, you know. Right. Um. Let me make let me make two more um, final thoughts and then we'll we'll close it out. Um, actually, something that both Kyle you said and then you said Brian that I kind of want to expound on. Kyle, you were talking about you know in the church glorifying God, like that being instead of glorifying flesh, glorifying ourselves, us having to be right, glorifying Him. And then, Brian, you talked about black culture in the church, you know, not always being fully accepted. Yeah. And if, if, if I could just marry those two ideas, glorifying God, black culture, right? Yeah. I think the way that we have a, a healthy, a rich church is... That, that fully glorifies who God is, that we realize that black culture distinctly is its own thing. And that's beautiful because there, there's a, there, there's a richness to, to the black community, to black culture, the, the, just the communal aspect um, and the family aspect of the black community. There, there's a richness there to that. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's based on a lot of history and, but just, just again, the richness that black culture brings to the table as far as the church, I feel like when we had those conversations and we implement that and not, not just a token thing, you know, not just saying, I'm going to give you this because it looks like this, you know, but actually right. saying, Hey, you bring something to the table. I'm going to honor and lift that up. You know, I think when we come at it with that, it it fully glorifies God. It, it is a picture of heaven on earth, like a beautiful picture of heaven on earth. When we have a full, rich, diverse church where, you know, the white culture is not the main culture that is celebrated or presented or honored. But we know that black culture again, has a richness, has elements to it that mm. brings so much to the table and so much to the church that we can just, again, do it together, build that bridge together. Um, yeah. The last, the last thing that I want to hit on really quick to kind of, you know, really close this whole thing out and to kind of really just make us think a little bit 
and hopefully go beyond this podcast and and go out and have conversations with somebody, if, if you're white, somebody that doesn't look like you, somebody that's black, a black brother or sister, hear their experiences. Um, hip-hop artist, Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae, a, a word that you, a lot of people don't like right now, white privilege. I'm just going to go out and say that it's real. It And Lecrae put it, I mean, probably the best way that I've heard it. You, Brian, as a black person in America, you, yeah. you, you can't just turn off your blackness. You can't wake up and say, oh, I'm not black today. So you... You know, your experience in America and growing up being different than mine, being white. Right. So you, you can't change that. You can't turn that off. Yeah. <laughs> me, me, me as a white person in America, I have the privilege to turn the blinders on to say this doesn't affect me. I haven't had any bad run-ins with the police. I don't have to worry about, you know, potentially being that white guy, you know. Um, or being like super nervous when a police officer pulls me over, you know, I just worry about, am I going to get a ticket? You know? Yeah. And so like, I, I have the privilege to just not have this conversation. I have the privilege to just not worry about this because it doesn't affect me. Right. Last thing that I'll say, and I think Kyle has one last thing for us and we'll close it out. Emmanuel Ako, he's, uh, Acho, Ako, I can't remember how to say his name. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's been having some really good conversations. And if if you haven't yet, um, I encourage you, whoever's listening, go check it out. It's called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. One thing that he said was, we'll never have justice until the ones that are that are not uh, that that aren't affected by it are as outraged as those that are affected by it. Yeah, Whew. that's, that's you know, yeah. like so me as a white person in America, like I, I, I have to be frustrated about this. And I am, you know, again, that that that's where empathy starts. That's where. All right. I'm going to be quiet and listen. Or, or real quick. You want actually when you said that I thought about Jesus and how scripture says that we have a high priest who is able to empathize with us. Absolutely. You know, like we've realized like Jesus was God incarnate. Um, but he, you know, but he did not have the remnants of sin dwelling in him. But we did. And he was just as an outrage for us, though though sin was not tainting his mind. Mm. Yes, sir. And that's what God is displayed, right? <laughs> yeah. So like like so, how do we show that, show that as the church? We have to be just us outraged for those, whether it's whether it's racism, right? Whether whether it's those who have experienced some other form of bigotry, we have to be just as outraged on the infringement of their of their freedom, just like anyone else. Absolutely, man. Kyle, what you got for us, man? Yeah, and so I think we'll close on that. I think this is like you know, a good, a good ending point for us. And we talk about as the church being, 
incarnating the love of Christ, being agents of uh, God's change in the world, and uh, people who uh, are, are Christians uh, as well. Um, the challenge to uh, the white church specifically, I can't speak to uh, any other church or anything, but predominantly white churches. How can uh, leaders, pastors, uh, you know, members, volunteers, whatever you want to call anyone in the church, this is not just specifically for the pastor or the, the one that would be a specific leader of the church, but for everyone who's involved in this process who calls themselves a follower of Christ, uh, I'd like to leave a challenge uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, um, verses 11 through uh, 16. And this is really a challenge, and, and this is uh, Paul's writing this to the Church of Ephesians, and it's a really good, I mean, this is full of, of how we should go about living and, and what, what we should be as the church and uh, things we should really be focusing on uh, here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I think this is a really good picture and a telling of how does the, the church, specifically predominantly white, help this change start happening. And so Paul says, uh, starting in verse 11, chapter 4 of Ephesians, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of full, excuse me, unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to measure of the statutes of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speak truth and love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, so I think that's just a, it's, it's a huge challenge for us as the church uh, leaders in any capacity, uh, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a volunteer, high capacity, whatever it may be, if you are a father along in the faith and someone else, your job, your calling, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And uh, so, and it goes on to talk about how, so we won't be tossed through to and fro uh, by uh, human cunning and uh, different doctrines that are out there. And so I know we were talking about in the beginning of this podcast, uh, there's just so many different philosophies out there, so many different ideas that are being thrown around. Some we can honestly see that they're wrong and they shouldn't be, shouldn't be, uh, I guess glorified in a sense, but but as a, as a church, as 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 the church, how can we equip people uh, to look at Scripture first, um, building each one or one another up until we attain the fullness of Christ and the knowledge of Him and mature in Him and become more like Him, um, and so and then it goes further to talk about uh, speaking the truth and love. Um, I think that that is it is essential uh, that we, we don't forget about what the truth says, but we do it in love. That, that's our method, if you will. Like we need to be so consumed with the idea of, of the love that permeates from us, incarnating that love of Christ to anyone we come in contact with. So I think that's a challenge uh, for the church today. 
uh, predominantly the white church, uh, to just be mindful uh, leaders in your church, equip those in your church that are still young in the faith, uh, to think about these things in a way uh, that leads uh, to uh, glorifying of God, moving in a place where we're conforming more into Him, um, so that we won't be we won't be confused by all these different ideas that are out there, and stand on the fact that we need to speak truth and love. So, yeah, man, powerful. Thank yeah. you for that encouragement, Kyle. Um, Brian, any last initial thoughts before we close out here? Yeah, yeah. And we don't just want to what Kyle is you know, speaking about. Thank you so much for the scripture. Because I believe that scripture is the believer's reference point on everything and how we do everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a great reminder for us as as believers to not to not be um, drifted away by what's going on in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to we have to stand we have to stand firm. And right now in this moment, we as believers, we have to we have to stand firm on God's God's vision for reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So even as a, yeah, <laughs> you know, am I as a black person, like, am I enraged with enraged with what is going on in our nation? Yes, especially with especially with this topic. I am, you know, it's, you know, it's been it's been very cutting. But do I believe that God still stands firm and is he does he still um, sit on his throne even as we speak? Oh yeah. So this is like just a great reminder that we can't believe every philosophy. But we have to stand stand firm in the scriptures, which show us a, a true theology of loving people. Amen, amen. Well, Brian, thank you um, so much, brother, for coming on the podcast and uh, just being being willing to to have this tough conversation. Share your heart with us, um, and just share your voice with our listeners, and and hopefully. You know, just encourage some people to step out of a comfort zone that they may be in, have a have a conversation, and uh, bring about change in this area. Um, that because this is what it's about. This is it's about having these conversations and doing it together. Amen. So, thank you, brother, so much. Thank you, brother. <laughs> White meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Peaks and Valleys podcast. If you like that podcast, please be sure to leave us a review. Um, Let us know what you think about this podcast. Rate us, and uh, we'll catch you on the next podcast. (laughs) 